uh, with his family. And uh, as he said, he thanks you for all those prayers. And we thank you for all those prayers, too. Uh, Mickey's here with us uh, today. First time. <laughs> the first Sunday since January 4th, so she's... Uh, uh, deals with migraines and a lot of it. The reason why she was actually out was just the uh, side effects of the medicines. And she went on three different medicines. Three different medicines had side effects, and they were uh, long-term. So, Or, I mean, you know, two and a half months anyway. So uh, we just thank you for all your prayers and uh, uh, greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. So here's a three-question quiz this morning to get us started. Do you love God? With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Number two, do you love your neighbor as yourself? Question number three, can you recognize the things that prevent you from doing this? So if you answered no to any of these questions at all, which I'm I'm assuming every one of us answered no to the first two anyway, then today's message is for you. So let's start in. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, verses 34 through 40. And uh, we have an overhead for this. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. And uh, Jesus says this. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus said two things, or he said these two things. He said, loving God... And loving our neighbor summarizes all the law and the prophets. So this is how we are to live our life. This is kingdom living. This is Christian living. All that we do should be seen through these two lenses of loving God and loving each other. And so if this is true, right, and if this is what we're trying to do, we can expect that Satan will be right there at every turn, trying to get us to do the opposite of these very things. And if this is what we're trying to do, then our flesh will be right there at every turn, trying to get us to do the opposite of these two things. There will be opposition as we try to do this. It will not be easy, and it will be a battle to love God and to love people. This life we lead is kind of like a steeplechase with jumps and with water, uh, water jumps, hurdles and water pits. Does everyone know what a steeplechase is? We have a picture of it right here. A steeplechase is a race in which you can either ride a horse or you can run a foot race. And what you do is you go over different obstacles and different jumps. And then the final jump being this big water jump that you go through. So the first recorded steeplechase occurred in 1752 in County Cork, Ireland. It was on horses. There was a guy named Cornelius O'Callaghan and Edmund Blake. And in that time, the churches and the steeples were things that you could see from a long way away. There was the first thing that you'd see in the town. So they decided to have a chase from one steeple to the other one. So it was four and a half miles away. They took off. 
We have no idea who won. <laughs> we know when it was. We know where it was. We know what they did, but we have no idea who won. I don't know why. It just no one knows. But that's when it first started. So the foot race, right? We have this as an Olympic event, and that's kind of what we're going to be thinking about today is the, is the foot race. So it's usually 3,000 meters long, and there's a track that's 400 meters long, and it has four hurdles and one water jump. So to make up the 4,000 meters, you have to go around, around it seven times. So during this race, you clear 28 hurdles and seven of these water jumps. The water jump itself has a three-foot hurdle in front of it. That's the one that we have pictured there. And that's a 12-foot long pool of water. So you have to jump three feet in the air, and you have to go for 12 feet. It starts out at 27 half inches deep right next to the thing, and it just slopes up. So when you get to the end, there's nothing at all. And you can see, I don't think any of these people there will be able to make it all, <laughs> all 12 feet. So think about it, right? These people go around the track seven times. They jump over the same hurdles over and over 28 times. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Right? How often do we struggle with the same thing over and over? So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the hurdles that we have in our lives. Some of these things that we encounter. And we have to realize right away that every one of these hurdles is trying to do one of two things. It's trying to prevent you from loving God. It's trying to prevent you from loving your neighbor as yourself. These hurdles are part of our life. We can't get away from them. They are there. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these hurdles. They're different in everybody's life, but there are some that are common to everyone. And this morning we're going to look at four hurdles, and we're going to look at the one water jump as we go through these. And really what our goal today is as we do this is I picked five different ones. No, they don't go together or blend together. They're just a, like a shotgun splattering. So we can see how do we deal with these hurdles. There's a template that, that we're going to look at. It's in your bulletin insert on the bottom. But we want to see how we do this. So when it comes to you and your specific hurdle, you know how to apply this to that. It might not be the ones that we're talking about. It might be different ones as well. So one note, just quick before we jump in, and this is on loving your neighbor as yourself, because sometimes you hear, it's like, well, I can't love my neighbor if I don't love myself. So there's a guy named Brad Hamrick. He's got a whole bunch of initials after his name, but he says this. He says, what did Jesus mean when he said we are to love our neighbors as ourselves? The weight of other biblical texts, church history, evangelical theology all indicate that Jesus meant you already love yourself. What you need to learn is to focus the same amount of attention, interest, and concern that you already give to yourself onto other people. So, hurdle number one, anger. As we begin the race, we pick up speed. We're building up speed. We're on the straightaway. Things are going good. We got up this morning and I read, we read our Bible. We even prayed afterwards. We felt the love of God. We felt something stir inside of us. And the stirring gave us a sense of joy. And we wanted to do something nice for someone. So we got up. We ate breakfast, and we put away our dishes. We felt good, right? We did this because we felt that love of God, and it overflowed to our family. I'm going to clean up after myself. I usually just leave it a mess, but this morning we're going to clean up. Then our spouse comes down. <laughs> Mickey's over there laughing. She's like, I know what he's talking about. <laughs> but our spouse comes down, right? Do they notice it? They don't even notice it, right? 
Instead, they remind us that we forgot to do something that we were supposed to do. They bring up our faults, right? And we feel guilt and we feel anger instantly at the same time. And we're hurt because we try to do something nice and they didn't even notice. Instead, we feel like they're attacking us. How do we respond? Do we step back and do we logically think, are they right? Should have I done what I should have done? Should I admit my guilt? Should I ask my forgiveness? Or does the anger come bubbling up right away? Does our hurt turn to anger instantly? Does the blood rush to our face and to our temple? Do our eyes twitch back and forth uncontrollably? And what comes out of our mouth? And how many times later on in the day do we wish that we could just take it all back? That we just never said it. Why is anger so bad? Because it prevents us. It prevents us from loving God and loving our spouse. It prevents us from loving each other. There's, there's no way that we can possibly love our spouse when we're angry because all of this emotion is against the other person. We just can't, you just can't love someone when you have that anger at the same time. So how do we clear the hurdle? And this is the part that we really want to get. First of all, we have to recognize that the hurdle is there. We have to recognize that the hurdle of anger is there. Because if I'm in a steeplechase, right, I expect hurdles. I can anticipate them. I can get ready for them. If I'm on the third lap and I'm going on the fourth lap, I know they're coming up again. So, second line we need to realize that it will prevent us from loving God and from loving other people. This is so critical, right, because this is what the whole message is about. Being able to see these things that prevent us from loving God and from loving others. And then we need to go to the Scripture. And we need to, to look what the Scripture says about it. So, scripturally, how do we clear the hurdle of anger? We have an overhead for this. It's by doing the opposite. Instead of anger, we want love. So Ephesians, I guess I should say which, Ephesians 4, is verses 26 and 27, and then 31 and 32. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. To clear this hurdle, we must put away anger. We must be kind. We must be tender-hearted. We must forgive one another. You know, perhaps our spouse wasn't gently reminding us, but was criticizing us. And they were sinning in the way that they were presenting it. I've done this often with my children. And I just did this with Ben just, just the other day. And I blew up at him. Right? And I was 100% right in what I was saying to him. But I was 100% wrong in the way that I did it. I did it out of anger. I did it sarcastically, condescendingly, condescendingly yellingly, if that's even a word. <laughs> we can figure out what that means, right? I was yelling at him. And... What was the result? Were we closer before than after? Not a chance. We were much further apart. You can be right, 100% right, 
but you can still sin in the way that you present it. And so if your spouse comes down, right, and they're right in what they're saying, you didn't do what you're supposed to do, and even if they're sinning in the way that they're saying it, what does this passage say? What does God tell us to do? He says, put away anger. Put away anger. And forgive them just as He, in Christ, forgave us. So the best way to overcome the hurdle of anger is by actively loving God and loving people. This is how we do the opposite, is we love them. Not only breakfast, but we clean up the dinner dishes as well. <laughs> so, you finally get over the hurdle of anger, right? We got that one licked. Okay, that part of the race is over. You get out of the house, and you get into that old, clunky car. All you see on the road are nice, new cars, right? They're not even BMWs. They're just, they're just new, and they're just nice. And you get jealous. You're tired of driving this old eyesore, this piece of junk that you've been driving for years and has fallen apart. You're jealous. You then go into the store, and you're waiting in line, and the person in front of you is wearing old clothes, and they smell, and they're a slob, and they're holding everybody up because they're trying in vain to find 27 cents, and they just can't seem to find it. And you look down on them, This is hurdle number two, it's loving God and people. It's the twin sisters of pride and of jealousy. How many times do we look down on others like that in pride? How many times do we get jealous of what someone else has? See, pride is when we measure ourselves and we like where we put ourselves. Jealousy is when we measure ourselves and we don't like where we put ourselves. It's like we're on this big, giant totem pole, right? And no matter where we are, there's always someone above us. We're jealous, and there's always someone below us, and we're looking down at these people. And it doesn't matter what the criteria is, right? If it's money, someone makes more than us, and we're jealous. We make more than someone else, and we look down at them. If it's intelligence, someone is always smarter than us, and we wish we were smarter. And someone's not as smart as us, and we look down on them, right? And so, even if we use spirituality as a measuring stick, right? We see someone who, who, doesn't, who seems more spiritual than us and who doesn't seem to struggle as much. And we're jealous. We don't, we don't want to struggle all the time. We want to be mature. We want to be like them. And then we see someone who isn't as spiritually mature. And they struggle with sins that we no longer struggle with, even though we did struggle with those sins. Or they struggle with some sin that we never struggled with. And what do we do? What's wrong with them? Don't these people know any better? We look down on them. What's wrong with these twin sisters of pride and jealousy? They're ugly sisters. (laughs) They keep us. (laughs) They keep us from loving God with all our heart and soul and mind. And they keep us from loving our neighbor as ourselves. For our pride to stay intact, we must be better than them, right? We can't let them be equal, or God forbid, better. That can't happen at all, right? So how can we possibly love someone with all our heart that we're trying to push down, that we're always trying to, you know, the ones that we look down or that we make fun of, how can we possibly build them up at the same time? You can't do it. It's impossible. Jealousy and pride is impossible to love the way God has taught us to love. So, Back to our template. How do we clear the hurdle of pride and jealousy? 
by recognizing that the hurl of pride and jealousy is there, right? By realizing that we have this tendency to be prideful, this tendency to be jealous. We must be able to see it in order to jump it. We don't run the steeplechase blindfolded. We look for these. Number two, by recognizing that it prevents us from loving God and from loving people. Scripturally, how do we clear the hurl of pride? By humbling ourselves. By examining ourselves. By looking at what God's plan is. Listen to James 2.5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But the best way to overcome the hurdle of Pride and jealousy is by actively loving God and people, right? Help the other person. Give them the 27 cents, not just to get the line moving, but out of love. Smile at them. Look at them in the eye. Realize that you're loving God, that you're loving people as you do this. So hurdle number three, love for the things of this world. By this I don't mean the love of nature or the love of beauty or the things that God has given us, right? These are all good things. But I'm talking about the desires for things that we don't have, but we want at all costs. Things that we think we're entitled to. Things that we think that we deserved. And how many times has our desire for something blinded us to everything else that's around us? How many times have our desires for the things that we want caused fights. We want something so badly we can't think straight, we can't think logically. And how many times does it get us into financial trouble as well? Look at James chapter 4, verse 1. We have an overhead for this as well. James says this, What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Our love for this world, our greedy desires make us enemies of God. Why is this bad? Not that being an enemy of God isn't bad enough, because that certainly seems bad enough in itself, but why? Because we cannot love God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our might. And we cannot love our neighbor as ourselves. How do we clear the hurdle of loving this world? Same way we clear all hurdles, right? By recognizing that we have this hurdle of loving the things of this world by recognizing that it is preventing us from loving God and from loving people. Scripturally, uh, Galatians chapter 5 says this, We are to walk by the Spirit. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. We're to crucify our greeted desires. We're to not let sin reign in our lives. 
And we must realize that these things are temporary. 1 John 2, 16, 17 says this. It says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from this world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. These worldly things are passing away. They will not last, these things that we put so much stock into trying to get, that we will forsake loving God, forsaking, forsake loving other people for things that will pass away. It says, only God and who does his will abides forever. And it is through Christ that we do this. Galatians 3.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith and by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The best way to overcome the hurdle of loving this world is by actively loving God and loving people. So now the hurdle is cleared. Another battle is won. We got over that one. But now we just want to get home. We want to do nothing. It's been a long day. This is what makes hurdle number four so hard to clear, right? By the time we get to the fourth hurdle, we're just plain tired, right? We want to take a break. We just want to stop and lay down. In the middle of the race, we just want to lay down. We do this, the race is lost, though. So this hurdle is the hurdle of laziness. Why is laziness bad? You guessed it, right? It prevents us from loving God, and it certainly prevents us from loving other people, right? And this is one of our hurdles. We don't want to do anything. It's too hard to help out, right? We see our neighbor out there. Another foot of snow. Maybe not now, hopefully. <laughs> when I had this in mind, we still had snow on the ground. So. But <laughs> maybe it's still fresh in our hearts, hopefully. But picture the neighbor out there, right? There's a foot of snow. It just snowed again. And his snowblower's broke. And we see him out there, and we pretend we don't see him, right? Because we'd rather go in and watch TV, or we'd rather go in and get on the computer. We just, we just plain don't want to help, right? Or maybe the church needs help. Or maybe there's an early class. Or maybe it's a late care group. And we just don't feel like leaving the house. And I, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty here, but I'm trying to point this out. My whole object is to point out and show you what it is that's preventing you from loving God. What it is that's preventing you from loving people. And laziness is one of those things. Now, there are truly times that we should be relaxing. There are times when we should take vacations. There are times when we should get a big bucket of popcorn and just sit on the couch and watch a movie. You know, in the steeplechase, the race, the hurdles aren't like hurdles in regular races. They're solid, and they don't jump. Like, you know, a regular race, if you hit it, it just kind of flips over and flips right back after the next person. This doesn't do it. It's solid. You have to get over it. You don't, you don't have a choice. But it's wide enough that you can get up and you can rest your foot on and then jump over the top. Sometimes we honestly don't have enough energy left to clear the hurdle. We barely have enough energy to get our foot up on it without ramming our shins, shins on the way over. Sometimes we can barely climb over to the top and push ourselves over. Those are legitimate times. But that's not what I'm talking about here, right? What I'm talking about here are the ones that are just outright laziness. 
where everyone here will say, oh, that's just me being lazy. I just, I just plain don't want to get off the couch. I just, I just plain don't want to do anything. That's the hurdle that we're talking about. So how do we overcome the hurdle of laziness? By recognizing that there is a hurdle of laziness. By recognizing that this hurdle is going to prevent us from loving God. This hurdle is going to prevent us from loving people. Scripturally, do not be lazy or sluggish, but imitate those of the faith. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12 says this, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The best way to overcome the hurdle of laziness is by loving God and loving people. It's by getting off the couch. It's by looking for ways, looking for ways that we can love our brothers and our sisters. What is it that we can do at home for those that are at home? What can we do at work? What can we do at school to show our loves? What can we do for our enemies to show our love? So those are the four hurdles. After the four hurdles, we face the water jump. The water jump is what makes the steeplechase the steeplechase. Without the water jump, you wouldn't have the steeplechase. So to me, this water jump seems the hardest. Think about it again. It's a, it's a three-foot hurdle that you have to jump over. Twelve feet of water that you have to jump over there. You can't get out of this thing without getting wet. You will get wet going over the water hurdle. And to me, this sounds like fear, anxiety, and worry. How many times, how many times have we landed in the water of fear, anxiety, and worry? How can this be a hurdle? We have an overhead in the parable of the sower. Jesus says this. He says, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life. The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Ed Welch says this. We have this overhead as well. He says, what are the killers of spiritual life and growth? Worries? What? No way. Worries feel so bland and harmless. This is the last thing that we'd expect to make the list. Everyone has worries, and they seem so ordinary. Worries are our legitimate concerns. But Jesus is saying that when you see worry, and you will see it, be careful. It makes sense when you think about it. Worry is focused inward. It prefers self-protection over trust. It can hear encouraging words, even God's words, and stay unmoved. It can be life-dominating. It is connected to your money and your desires, and that reveals the things that are valuable, valuable to you. It can reveal that you love something more than Jesus. It crowds Jesus out of your life. Fear, anxiety, and worry are direct attacks on our faith. They prevent us from loving God. And they show us who we trust in or what we trust in, right? If our fears are not having enough money, then we trust more in our ability to get enough money to protect ourselves than on God protecting ourselves. 
If our fears are about someone else's opinion, then we care more about their opinion than we care about God's, what God thinks about us. But think about it. God thinks enough of us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And if we fear something, just stop and think about this, because you've got to picture this. If you fear someone, for whatever reason, what are the chances that you'll reach out in love if you fear that person? You won't. Our fear will paralyze us from loving them. So how do we clear the water pit? Once again, be honest with yourself. Recognize that this is a problem area. This is a problem area, I think, for everyone here. Recognize that it's preventing you from loving God. It's preventing you from loving people. We all struggle with it, right? And our faith all weakens at times. Look at Peter, right? The Apostle Peter denied Jesus three times because he was terrified. One of them, he was terrified of a servant girl. In that culture, a servant girl was invisible, really. And he's terrified of her. But remember what Jesus said? Jesus prayed for Peter even before his faith faltered. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So even though you fear, even though you're worried, even though you're anxious, think about it. Your faith in Jesus will not fail, right? It is he who began a good work in you. It is he who will finish it. Even if you're nervous or scared or anxious or worried, do you stop believing that Jesus is God? Do you stop believing that he died on the cross to forgive your sins? Do you stop believing that you're forgiven because of what Christ has done? The answer is no. But you struggle with this, and it's preventing you from loving God. It's preventing you from loving other people. Scripturally, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these other things will be added to us. God said in Hebrews 13:5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalms 56, 3 and 4, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And one practical way, one practical way for dealing with this is by Ed Welch. Uh, he says this. He's talking about Israelites and God giving him, God giving them manna. And God gave him manna only for one single day. So for the Sabbath, he gave them two days that they didn't do this. And he says this. He says, this established a spiritual rhythm. They did what God told them to do today. And they trusted him for tomorrow. Your goal is to get into a manna rhythm. Seek his grace today. Be faithful to the task that he sets in front of you. And trust him for tomorrow. That way, when you look back and see that, he's faithful, he, that he was faithful, your faith will be fed for the next day. God gives us strength for one day. He gave the Israelites manna for one day. We need to get into that manna rhythm. We need to get into that manna rhythm where we expect God to see us through one day. He will supply our needs for that day. We do what he sets before him that day. And at the end of the day, we look back 
and we're fed and we see where he was faithful. We see where he got us through. So the water in that steeplechase race, right? 27 inches in the close side. But it goes down to nothing, 12 feet out. The further out you go, the shallower the water is. The further you can jump, the less wet you're going to get. So jump out in faith. Jump out in faith as far as you possibly can when it comes to fear, worry, anxiety, trusting God. Jump as far as you can. Say to God, I can't jump very far. Please help me. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. The best way to overcome the water jump of fear, anxiety, and worry is by loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, and by loving your neighbor as yourself. This is the only thing that is strong enough to overshadow fear. Try to love those you fear. Do something for them. Even if it's just looking them in the eye and smiling. Even if it's as simple as that. So that you can get over the hurdle and you can start loving people. So how do we finish this race? How can we really honestly love the Lord our God all our heart, soul, and might, and love our neighbors ourselves. See, we can love God because He first loved us. And He continues to work in us. It is Him who makes it possible for us to love Him. First John 4 says, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. We love because He first loved us. We can love our neighbors ourselves because of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you see that? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what these things are. And that's the way we can do it. See, if you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail. It's only through Christ, through God the Father, through the Holy Spirit that you can do it. Cry out to God for help. He's going to let you do it. And so we want to realize something now. that Because when we look at this stuff and we, and we try to measure ourselves, it's like, I don't love God anywhere near like that. I don't, I don't love any of these people. I haven't made over a single one of these hurdles yet. You know, Some people are leaping over them. Some are jumping up and putting their foot there and going over. I think I'm crawling underneath when no one's looking. <laughs> I'm still going, but I don't feel like I'm doing anything. Remember this, right? This is, we're talking about sanctification. This isn't our salvation, right? We have to know these two things. Jesus Christ died, why? Because of our sins. He died in order to forgive our sins. Not because we can clear every hurdle, but despite our sins, or because of our sins, that's why he came and he died, right? So, we can still sin, and that doesn't change anything. That's the reason why he came. But we're talking about sanctification. How do we live our lives? How do we lead holy lives? We're Christians. What on earth are we supposed to do? And this is it, loving God and loving our neighbor as well. The band can come up. And while they're coming, the bullets on the insert... On the back, I made just a little template that's on there. And look at that when you get a chance. It's just like a worksheet that you work, can work on. 
says, what is the hurdle, right? What is the hurdle? Because like we said, I just picked out five at random, just a shotgun. Here's as different and as varied as we possibly can, laziness, you know, fear, pride, anger. But what is your hurdle? And then how is it preventing you from loving God and people? What are some of the scriptures that apply? And, and then just a thought, so how can I actively love God and love people in this situation? This can be used for anything, and the whole goal is just to see that, that template so you can use this in any hurdle that you want. I want to close on this. Um, John, the, the Apostle John, who wrote John and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, um, they have an overhead for this one right here. And it says, uh, this is who... The, Jerome tells us that when the aged Apostle John became so weak that he could no longer preach... He used to be carried into the congregation at Ephesus. And he would content himself with just a word of exhortation. Little children, he would always say, love one another. And when his hearers grew tired of this message, and they asked him why he so frequently repeated it, he responded, because it is the Lord's command. And if this is all you do, it is enough. Father God, we come before you now. And Lord, we just thank you first and foremost that you forgive our sins. Because when we look at something like this, we see sins, we see shortcomings, we see falterings, we see a bar that we can't measure up to. And right away we just thank you that it isn't about that. It's that you died on the cross to forgive our sins. But Lord, let us recognize what these hurdles are. What are these things that prevent us from loving you? What are these things that prevent us from loving each other? Help reveal them to us. Help us to see what they are doing. Help us to see that they're preventing us from loving you, from loving people. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'll be with us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.